Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to our service. Uh, you know, we're continuing our series on um, the thrill of hope on uh, this Christmas series. Uh, and I hope that as each sermon um, comes to you, comes to your head and to your heart, uh, that not only will you be blessed, um, not by so much the preachers, but by the words that come, the, the words from the, from the, um, from the Bible, um, but that you will receive hope and um, enjoy uh, this Christmas because we really need it, um, especially this year. So if you can uh, open up your Bibles um, with me to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, and this is uh, the reading of God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was not made, I'm sorry, and the word, world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The word became, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you um, for this passage. We thank you for the truth uh, in this passage, and we thank you for the hope that this um, passage brings to our lives, to our world, to our hearts, Lord. So, Lord, we give this time to you. Um, Lord, let your love shine um, bright here um, this morning, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, there are different ways to tell the Christmas story, and I think um, the Bible writers, uh, Matthew and um, Luke, tell the story of Christmas from you can say maybe the, the below perspective, and John uh, takes a different approach. He takes it from the above perspective. Below, what I mean is the earthly perspective. Jesus was born. These are the circumstances around him being born and so forth and all the details around it. Uh, John, however, doesn't include uh, the, the narrative, the, the, the manger. Uh, what he does do is he takes it from the above approach. He takes the, uh, this Christmas story in the light of the entire redemptive history uh, in the Bible. And so John takes more of a theological perspective uh, on Christmas than the other writers, but that doesn't mean that it's any less, uh, or it actually doesn't mean that it's any greater. It is the Word of God, and I hope and pray that the way that John uh, tells the story of Jesus will also be um, beneficial for your heart uh, as as. I'm sure that we have gained a lot of joy and comfort from hearing the stories on Matthew and um, Luke. So he, 
begins um, this passage or his perspective on Christmas, he begins verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. But he really doesn't get to the, the heart of Christmas or the message of Christmas until verse 14, when he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's the summary, John's summary of Christmas. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But just like John, who waits until verse 14, there's some things that he says before that makes the story of Christmas greater than just, you know, a man coming uh, and being born. Although, you know, birth of a baby is exciting news, but it doesn't make it great. It doesn't make it hopeful. And so what, what John does is he gives a, um, uh, a summary of what it's actually happening, meaning the word, okay? Because he uses the word became flesh. He doesn't use actually the name of Jesus, and he doesn't do it until uh, verse 17. Even though the main subject, the main person in the story of Christmas is Jesus, he doesn't mention his name until 17. And why is that? Why does John say the word has come? Not Jesus has come. And, and I think there is uh, a reason uh, and, and, and uh, his perspective on how he wants to portray who Jesus is. So he uses the word, in the beginning was the word. Now, what does that mean? What, what is John trying to say here? Um, and I'm sure he was familiar with all the, uh, the, the current philosophers at his time, which used the word uh, logos uh, to, to portray, um, you know, some kind of a, a pre-existent thing that all men come from, or the ideal man. So there's all these um, philosophies or, or understanding of the word logos uh, in that culture. But I believe uh, that John is usually actually using the Old Testament. Because it's clear that when you read verse 1, in the beginning, your first um, reaction or think, a thought that comes to your mind is, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. So I think what, what John does is he takes us back and says, look, what does the word mean in the Old Testament? And I think if you, if you read the Old Testament uh, and you look at the instance of, of the word, what you see is, um, you know, even in, in Genesis chapter 1, that the word uh, communicates um, God's power in creation and then in revelation and then in salvation. When you read the word of God in the Old Testament, almost the word of God is almost personified as the actual uh, God himself. So that when God speaks, he creates. It's a word of God that goes forth and creates, but yet it's God who's creating. It's almost where the word of God is equal to God. When, when the prophets speak, when the word of God comes to his people and he reveals himself, it's almost as though the God himself comes to people. And even salvation, you know, it says, my word will go out and will not come back empty. That there is something about the word of God in the Old Testament that's connected so much with God's activity that it almost represents who God is. And I think that's what John wants to communicate. He wants to communicate that the person that came, the word who became flesh, it's actually God himself. It's not a mere man that has come. 
It's not an angel that has come, but it's actually God who has come. And so he says, in the beginning was the word. He takes us beyond the manger, beyond the birth. He takes us back to the creation or to the very beginning. He says, the word, Jesus, was at the beginning. He didn't start existing on the birth story that we see in Matthew and Luke. But he was before that. He is eternal. Then he says, and the word was with God. And he says this, I believe, so that we don't confuse uh, God and Jesus as same person. No, there was there were distinction between Jesus and God in the Old Testament. He was with God. They're not the same person. They're different. And then he says, to finish it off, and the word was God. Even though there are two distinct persons, yet the person who came and became flesh is actually God himself. His nature is God. When you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus. And this is the adoption of the Trinity, which, you know, obviously we're not going to have time to go through. But what, what John was trying to say is that just... It's not just about a, a baby being born. It's about God, the Almighty of the Old Testament, coming and becoming flesh, adding to his Godhood. And so right there and there, it should be something glorious or something to proclaim. You know, anytime we have somebody important coming to our place, wherever that may be, we celebrate it, Right? We, we make, uh, you know, uh, preparations for that person coming, and we make it a big deal. And what John is telling us is that it's not just a mere important person that has come, but it is God that they worshiped, that they revere, that's majestic. That is who is coming to Christmas. It is glorious because of who is coming. And then he he says, okay, so he established that it is God who was coming. Now he gives us two characteristics of this God that's coming to become flesh. And there's a lot of verses in here, but the two that comes out a lot again and again, and for example, verse 4, And him was life, and the life was the light of men. There, there are two things, life and light, that John is focusing on says, this God who is coming to become flesh has a characteristic of that he has life, in him is life, and he is the light of men. Why these two things does John focus, is John's focused on? Well, it's, I think it's because he is trying to tell us that there are two great problems that humanity faces. One is spiritual deadness, and spiritual blindness. That we are dead spiritually without him. That we are not able to see the truth without him. And so what he's telling us is, this God who is coming brings a remedy for our deepest um, 
not our deepest pain, but our, 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 our deepest thing that alienates from God. He brings a remedy. Now, so it's, it's the news gets better and more glorious. Not only is God coming, but he's actually bringing the thing that we need. The thing that we hope for. And so John has established, okay, this word is God and he's bringing what we need. Now we come to verse 14. And this is his summary of the Christmas story. He says, the word and the word. Now we know who, who this word is. Became flesh. He came down and he added the, the nature of, of, of man. And he came down, became flesh. And dwelt among us. So now it's getting more glorious. It's not just him coming, visiting, going. He is living among us. He has not only, he has not, he's not only coming to just say hi and then bye. No, he's coming and dwelling with us. Now, when you think about this, this could be glorious and joyful and comforting, but it all could be kind of scary, right? Depending on who you are, right? Right? If this God who is holy, majestic is coming, he has a remedy, but how do you know it's for you? Right? How do you know? Maybe he's coming here to judge, to blame. You don't know. So it's, not, it's great news, but it's not good news for us yet. And, we under, and then it becomes good news as we understand the meaning of the word dwelt. The word dwelt here is actually the word tabernacle. And you might see in some of the older versions of, of the Bible, it says, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Now, the word tabernacle is not our, you know, something that we say on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Uh, this word tabernacle comes from the Old Testament. It's not actually a verb, but it's actually a, a noun that, you know, John changed into a verb here. And it helps us, when we understand the concept of the tabernacle, it really helps us to understand the Christmas story. And it becomes not only, and when we understand it, it doesn't just, it, the story is not just a glorious story, but it becomes a good news story for us. So just a brief introduction to what the tabernacle is. The Israelites were rescued, redeemed from, from Egypt. And as they came into um, past the Red Sea, with Mount Sinai, and they're now, they're promised that they would be in a new land, land of Canaan, the promised land. But they would have to take a, tri a, a, a trip, or not a trip, but a, a trek into the wilderness to get there. And God designed a tabernacle, it's like a temporary tent that says, I'm gonna place myself in the midst of your camp during this time in the wilderness, to tell you that I am with you, that I am there with you along this journey until we get to the promised land. And to, and to make it um, obvious that the tent of meetings or the tabernacle, that's where God resided, there was a pillar of fire above the tabernacle that, that says God is here in the, in the presence of his people. And then when they needed to move, the pillar of cloud would move first 
Once they moved, they knew that God doesn't want us here. He wants us to go. And so what they would do is they would pack up the tent, the tabernacle, move it, and as soon as where the, wherever the pillar of cloud uh, stood, they went right underneath it, and then they built a tabernacle. It's to show that, that God was among his people. Okay? So how does this help us to realize that Christmas story, that this word tabernacle is good news for us? Well, here is the thing. God is the one who designed the tabernacle. God is the one who, who chose to live among his people. See, what, what this verse and what John is getting at here is this, is that the word, this almighty God, he is coming and becoming flesh, and he is living or dwelling among us for us. Not for him. If you ever see a famous person come, the focus is all on them. What changes and what makes this story, this Christmas story, something that makes it comforting and joyful for us is that he came, he chose to come and live among us, for us, not for him. The Greek gods and the Roman gods at that time, there's stories where they would come and live among the people, but they were there just to observe and to just see what, and then they would go away. This God is different. He comes for us. And what makes it greater is that the us part, the us is not great people. Us is sinners. Great God, holy God, living among us for sinners. See, the, the tabernacle, uh, when, you, when you take a, a look at it, The, the, the concept of the tabernacle was that God was in the presence of his people, right? Just in the, in, in the midst. But if you wanted to have intimate relationship with God, you would have to go to the actual tabernacle and in one sense go through certain things so that you can have intimate fellowship with God. Because, and, the re, and they couldn't go directly to God because they themselves were sinners. And so this, the sinner aspect has to be present in our Christmas story, that Jesus came and lived with us. And, and the crazy thing is that he was sinners. And, and just to prove the, the greatness of God, that the tabernacle was constructed after a particular event. See, the, the tabernacle was constructed after the rebellion on Mount Sinai with the golden calf. Remember when, they, when Moses went up to the mountain, Mount Sinai, to have a conversation with God? Aaron led his people into idol worship, created the golden calf. Moses comes down, and there's judgment. And then after that judgment, God has a one-on-one -on -one talk with Moses. And he tells Moses this. He says, I'm sick of these people. I saved them, and they still rebelled against me. 
I am done. I will still give you the promised land, but I will not go with you. And Moses, um, this is the greatest moment, says, God, if you don't go with us, there's no point. There's no point in us going. Heaven is not there, is not good if you're not there. If you don't go, I'm not going to go. And after that conversation, there's the things happen, but eventually God says, I will go in the midst of your people. And then the tabernacle was constructed. And what you see there is that the tabernacle was after the rebellion of his people. That God didn't come and dwell among us because we were good. God didn't make the tabernacle because the people were good. No, they just sinned against him. That's us. That after knowing, God knowing that we are sinners, rebelling against him, he still chooses to come and dwell among us for us. Yet even that is not the final story of Christmas. The word became flesh, flesh dwelt among us for us in order to save us. And that last part is what makes Christmas Christmas. Until then, you're still a little bit unsure. Yeah, he came for us. We're sinners. Oh, that, that might be bad. No, he came for us to save us. Once again, the tabernacle helps us understand this. When people came and wanted to have fellowship with God, even though God was in the midst, they still had to go through a sacrificial system. They had to go through blood in order to have fellowship with him. They came and brought an animal and killed that animal, and the blood was shed so that that blood was substitute for the person who sinned. You see, what makes Christmas glorious is that he came to save us, all of us, and not just, you know, um, sinners who sin once in a while, you know, sinners who, who lie here, there. No, he came to save sinners, period. There's room for all types of sinners, Old Testament. Look at the great uh, patriarchs of the Old Testament. Moses, he killed somebody. Look at Abraham. He was a liar, a bad husband. Look at David, adultery. You can name one after another. God has room for all those sinners. New Testament, same thing. Mary Magdalene, adultery. Paul, the great apostle Paul, the persecutor of the church. Matthew, one who robbed, tax collector who took money. These are the people that Christ came for. Christ came for us, you and I us sinners. And so the Christmas story is not just God coming down. That's only a very small part. 
the Christmas story is not only about God coming down, becoming flesh, and living among us. That's not enough. It's more than God coming down, living among us, for us. That's great. That's good. It's still enough. But it's God, the Word, becoming flesh, dwelling among us, for us, to save us, to become our substitute, to shed his own blood so that we may have fellowship with God. That's what makes Christmas Christmas for us Christians. The secular Christmas is about doing something bad and then changing your life and getting better. Like Christmas Carol. Other stories of Christmas. It's about, yeah, you might have done something bad, but there's some redemption for you, but you're the one that's changing. That You're the one that's making your, your life better. The Christian Christmas is different. The Christian Christmas says, because you are incapable of doing better, Jesus came to save you. That's the Christmas story. And that's what you have if you're a believer in Jesus Christ in your heart. You know, this year, 2020, um, you know, I don't think if, I don't know of anyone personally that said, you know what, last year was better than this year. Uh, maybe you do, and that, it would be rare, I guess, to find that person that says, yeah, uh, last year was horrible, this year great, much better this year. Okay? Not too many people will say that. Because there have been, been so many hurts this year. People have been lonely. People may have lost loved ones. Tragedy, one after another. Hardships. How does Christmas speak to this year's COVID experience? Well, usually for believers, our life circumstances happen, and usually when they're bad, there's two things that we do. One is we pray, God, help us. The second thing is we search scripture to see what God has to say. If there's a solution in a verse, that's what Christians normally do. When life hits us, we've got to turn to Scripture. And what Scripture says is that Jesus is the answer. I know that sounds like an elementary answer. But to be honest, the little kids speak a volume of truth. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the word that helps us to get through this. And what I would like for us to do, it just if we hear is I want to see what Jesus has said about our situation. This word that came and saved us, what does Jesus say about our, our particular situation now? And I'm going to use the book of John here. John 6.35 says, I am the bread of life. I'm the one that gives life to you. Do you feel spiritually dead? Are you hungering for God? Jesus says, eat of me. I am the bread of life. 
John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. Do you only see darkness during this time? Everything's all hazy. Jesus, let Jesus shine, not only on himself, but let him shine on your world. Ask the Lord, Lord, can you shine in all the, the craziness that's going on and help me to see you in it? He says, I am the light of the world. John chapter 10 says, I am the door of the sheep or the gate of the sheep. I am the protector. I will protect you during this time. These are his words. He says in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. If you know, if you lost somebody, if you know somebody, death is not the end. He says, I am the resurrection and the life during this time. He says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The emphasis is not only on the shepherd, but the good shepherd. The one who nurtures, one who takes care of. This is the God that you have. He says in, verse, in, in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Are you confused? Do you have doubts? Jesus says, I am the way. I am the solution. It's through me. I am the truth and the life. And lastly, John 15 says, I am the true vine. It says, during this time, get connected with me and you will bear fruit. Don't cut yourself off from me. Get connected with me. This word that we celebrate during this Christmas season, his words are the words that are truth and that are comforting. But even greater is that during this time, not only do we have the words of God, but we have the word. We have Jesus with us. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that you have Jesus. What thing could take that away from you? What other tragedy or, or joy compares to you having Jesus? You have the word, God's final word to all things. You have him this Christmas season. Take that. Take him into next year. Take that with all the sorrows that you have built up this year and let him take care of it so that he can turn those things into joy and comfort this Christmas. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, the final word is you. The final word in all things is you, Lord. Lord, we have struggled this year. It is hard to say that we have hope, that we have, that we're not weary. And it's hard to rejoice given all that we've gone through, Lord. And Lord, when we think about that, your word has to speak louder into our lives. You are the bread of life. You are the light of the world. You are the true vine. You are the good shepherd. Let those truths speak louder to our hearts and our minds. And Lord, let us cling and hold on to the fact that we have the final word, you, 
in our lives so that our hope may be real and we can rejoice given our circumstances. We thank you, Lord, pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.